you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Malachi uh, chapter 2. Just a couple verses today that we're going to be concentrating on. And like the whole book of Malachi, just so you know and so you're aware, it's not... Well, listen, when we first come to Christ, we're excited. You know, you just think, I can never lose this feeling. I love the Lord so much. I can't wait to be in the Word. I can't wait to serve Him. I'm growing. And some of you are there. We've all been there at one time, if you're a true Christian, right? But over time, as time moves on, sometimes we just have that tendency to, to take our eyes off Christ a bit. Right? And then maybe a little bit more. And the things that we're called to do that we once looked so forward to almost become like a duty to us, and we kind of shirk that. Well, that's kind of what's happening in Malachi's time. In Malachi's day, they had started off really well and loving the Lord. The temple's rebuilt. They're worshiping. But as time goes on, just like with so many of us, if we're not careful to, to continue to cultivate that relationship with Christ, this happens. It's like a drift that kind of happens to us and we get away from the Lord. That's why Malachi is so tough in many ways because he's telling them, look, here's what you're doing. And they kind of know, but they're also rationalizing, you know, the questions, when haven't we loved you? How haven't we loved you? Are you kidding me? Here's how you haven't loved me. Here's, you know, this is what you're doing. Can't you see it? So there, there's kind of that battle so Malachi is a real call to come back to the Lord. Kind of come back to your first love. Don't reject him. Don't put yourself under those, those consequences. And it also helps to really weed out those who truly believe and those who just profess faith. So that's why it's kind of tough going through Malachi at times. You know, it's hard things. It's going to continue, you know, just kind of as we go through the book the whole way. And today's no exception. Um, Next couple of weeks, as a matter of fact, there are deep, deep spiritual issues that Malachi deals with in terms of the, the people's relationship with God. And, and it involves two devastating, just very devastating covenantal sins. And these are two sins that really destroy the most sacred, most intimate of all relationships among people, and that's marriage, the covenant of marriage. And our relationship at the, as a church needs to mirror mirrors that relationship of covenant marriage, doesn't it? We're the bride of Christ, after all, in that way. But there are two covenant killers um, that we're going to be looking at in the next couple weeks. One, one is infidelity, and the other is divorce that Malachi touches on. And it has to do with the physical, but it really speaks to the spiritual relationship between uh, God's people and God himself. So Malachi chapter 2, just... Uh, verses 10 through 12 this morning, I do want you to hear the word of the Lord. Have we not one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to, the one, to, to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Okay, so um, we're just going to unpack this scripture. It might be a little confusing to you right now, but hopefully it'll become clearer as we go on. What he's talking about here really is infidelity towards God, spiritual infidelity, that they've married the wife of a foreign god. They're not being true to God. And, and you guys know, how many of you know the pain of infidelity to one degree or another, 
I don't know, maybe when you're in high school or maybe even marriage that infidelity has taken place, you've been cheated on, something like that, in, in one way or another. We know that, don't we? You know the, the pain that's there. Infidelity just means to be untrue to the one that you promised to be faithful to, the one you promised to love forever, the one you promised to give affection, attention, and devotion to. Infidelity goes the other way. Very few things are as emotionally painful. You know that if you've been cheated on, if infidelity has taken place against you. Um, very few things are much are, are more painful than that emotionally than finding out that you've been cheated on. You know, it makes you feel worthless, used, pain, that you're not good enough in, in some ways. Then there's the anger, of course, that anger that you feel because you've been cheated on. That trust issues that go out the window and just a multitude of problems and issues that come up when infidelity takes place. Right? To know that they desire another person more than they desire you or to give that, that love and attention that once was given to you to another while they're still with you. It's degrading, it's devastating, it's damaging, it's destructive. Especially since you've pledged yourself to that person. Now, take it out of the physical realm, which Malachi does, and bring it to the spiritual relationship, our relationship with God. So these people are saying, yeah, we love you, God, and we're committed to serving you. We're living our life for you. We, we do want to know you deeper. We're coming to church on Sunday. We're coming to the temple. We're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We truly believe, and you say that you truly believe, but what you're doing in reality is giving your time, at least the majority of your time and of your attention and of your affection, your best to something or someone else, all the while you're claiming to love God when in fact you're just going through the motions. You see how hurtful that is? You see how difficult that is to deal with? This is what they were uh, seeking to do with their God. And this is what so many people who profess Christ do today. Yeah, I love you, God. Yeah, I come to, yeah I'm going to do my duty, God. But in their hearts, you're far away from God. That's not going to stand. That doesn't work. See, that, that earns and really deserves God's displeasure, doesn't it? No, his indignation and his judgment. Oh, God's a God of love. How can't he not judge this? and just look at it and be okay with it. That you tell me that you love me, that you're going through the moat, but I know that your heart's so far away from me and you're really, your actions speak so much louder than your words. That there is infidelity taking place, that you are going with it. You tell me you love me, but you're going with another. Right? It's like a husband having an affair. And he sees his mistress every day of the week. And he brings her to extravagant restaurants, you know, for lunch. Um, you know, the, the working late, going to amazing restaurants at night, expensive gifts, talking, texting all the time, you know, the works. That's for his mistress. But then he comes home from work on a Friday at the end of the week with a half dozen of daisies, gives it to his wife, and says, hey, let's go to the... Uh, little dive restaurant around the corner. Wouldn't you like that? See that? 
That's what it's like spiritually. When we say that we love you, God, and, and we're doing this, we're not giving you the best. We're, we're actually cheating on you. We're not being faithful to you. So God expresses his, listen, this is very serious. God expresses his displeasure in no uncertain terms. These are very strong, powerful, direct language that he uses to bring judgment. Listen to what he says to the people. Um, the end of verse 1. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Then verse 11. Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, which God loves the sanctuary. And he married the daughter of a foreign God. See what they did? Do you see the language that's used there? There's no uncertain terms how he expresses his displeasure. He calls them faithless, number one. That word also can be translated treacherous or committing treachery in that way. Bagad is the word in Hebrew. And that word actually means a deep betrayal. Again, this all ties into um, the the idea of being faithless to to God. Willingly, knowingly, intentionally. So there's no room with this word. It's not like, oh, you know, it was kind of a spur of the moment. It was a one-time thing. You know, I had too much to drink that night. It's not like that. This word hems them in and says, no, 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 no. This is planned deception and faithlessness with no regard for the other person whom you are committing the sin against. You're not thinking about your spouse at that time or the vows that you took or the covenant that you entered into. So there's no room to wiggle out of it when God says that. You're faithless. All the while coming to, you have to remember, all the while they're coming to temple, all the while they're going through the motions, all the while they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and yet, Their heart is elsewhere. He also calls it an abomination, toyavah, and that's a very, very strong word in Hebrew. And it means something which is morally disgusting to God, morally detestable to God. It's sickening, unclean, unnatural, unholy in his sight. It's a gross immorality that's taking place. See, God's not holding back on the language that he's using. And then he says to profane. You profane the temple in that way, or the Lord. And that is to treat something that is sacred with irreverence, with indifference, with contempt, to desecrate, to treat disrespectfully with little or no regard for. See that? See how serious this is? It might, on the surface, it might not even seem like that. But as you pledge yourself to the Lord and then go off to another and, and commit that infidelity, this is what God, this is what he's saying to them. That's not, you're not going to get over. That's not going to work. That's not going to happen in my sight. This is what you're actually doing. You're profaning the name of God. You don't really love me. You actually have contempt for me through your actions. That's the situation that they're in. That's what they're doing. When you put all these together, these three words in that way, you see the seriousness and the depth of the sin that they're in. And Also, the severity is also seen in Malachi's cry for judgment. Look at verse 12. He says, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this. That's how serious it is. When he says cut off, that means to remove completely, to to get rid of, to do away with. 
to excommunicate in, in that way. That's the judgment that he's calling for. Right? And what's the problem? The problem is just obvious, obvi- obviously. They're unfaithful to God as they chase after false gods, as they exchange the truth for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And notice he says, they have married women of foreign gods. They're married to them. That's, again, very, very strong. It's not that they're flirting or dating or playing around with, you know, playing footsie with. That would be bad enough. But he said, you are married. You're devoted. You're committed. That's where your loyalty is. So their spiritual infidelity is manifested in their actual taking of pagan wives and unbelieving women. So that the outward act of marrying foreign women with foreign gods shows the spiritual degradation in their hearts. So they were never to do that. They were warned not to do that. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, I'm going to turn there to Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, verses 1 to 4. You may turn there if you like, or I'm just, uh, I will read that for you. This is God's chosen people as he's going to bring them into the land. Here are the commands for them. Here's what they were to do. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mighty than you, And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them, show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they will turn, they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. The anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will destroy you quickly. Okay? They weren't to marry. So it's not about a lot of people. Well, let's look at the next passage in Judges. Look at the, the result. I think we have this up here. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. What do you think they did? They obey God? Did they listen to God? No. And their daughters they took to themselves for their wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their God. See, that's the big deal. That's the idea. When God talks about separating. That's the unequally yoked aspect of it. It's not, some people use that as as racism, even in the church. Well, you can't intermarry or you can't go with that group. And it's not about the outward. It's not about the the cultural. It's not about the, the racial. It's not about the ethnicity ever. It's always about the spiritual, right? And our tendency is always to go towards sin. It's not to go towards righteousness, Right? So, so that's what God knew about these people. That's why they weren't to intermarry. People could come into the covenant. Ruth is a great example of that. She came in to the covenant people. Obviously, you're able to do that, but it's that. It's not being equally yoked because, again, the tendency is going to be, and it always is, to go away from God and what he commands and what he demands and go to do what we want to do because the false gods always appeal to our sinful nature. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. So they were not to marry, and this was why, right? Intermarry with them. It's offensive. The infidelity is offensive to God, obviously, but it's also very foolish, and there's the, the, the folly of sin, and there's dangerous consequences to it. Why? Why is it so dangerous? Why is it foolish in this way? Several reasons I'll give you. I'll, I'll give you four anyway. Number one, 
He's the only true God. Why are you serving another God? Where are you going to go? To whom shall you go? We have Almighty God. We have the truth. And yet we're not content with that. And so we look for and at other gods. There's only one God. Isaiah 44, 6 tells us. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and the Redeemer, First and the last, besides me, there's no other God. Where are you going to go? Why are you going to another God? Isaiah 43.10. You're my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed. There will be none after me. Why are you going to another God? There's salvation in no other God. Isaiah. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Acts 4, 11, and 12. This Jesus is a stone who was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You see how foolish it is? You see how, if you're in here, you have the truth. You're surrounded by the truth of God. You're professing Christ. Why are you going to go somewhere else? Which God are you going to go to? Why would you do that? Why would you turn... There's, there's a foolishness to sin. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about that. The gospel's foolishness to those who are perishing. You know, I want more. I want a sign. I want this. I want that. I want God to prove himself to me. You're here in his midst. Where are you going to go? To what other God? Every other God is a false God. It's not a true God. That can't save you. We always look for functional saviors. That which makes us happy now. That's what gives me comfort now. We're not thinking about eternity and the only one and true God. So we do that. It's foolish, but it's happening even more and more in the church today. So many people are, quote, deconstructing their faith. How many of you have heard about that? That's a big deal right now going on. Well, I like Jesus, but I don't like the Bible. I, you know, I, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. I like Jesus. Are you kidding me? You can't separate that. The Bible's not all that I thought it was. I really don't believe it anymore, and they end up rejecting the Bible. That's the foolishness. They're walking out. They're giving their heart to somebody else. That is infidelity towards the Lord. False gods cannot save you. The Bible makes it plain. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver you, for they are empty. He's warning God's people. He's telling them. I, like, it's almost like we shouldn't have to be telling or be told these things, and yet he's telling us because there's always a temptation to do that, where you're not satisfied with God, where he's not enough for you, where I need something else, at least I think I do. And so we have that temptation to turn. He's saying, don't do that. You can't profit or deliver you. They're empty. Why do you do that? Where are you going to go? Psalm 115, verses 4 through 8, their idols are like, this is very descriptive, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. We make these idols. They have mouths, but they do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Do you see that? Where were you going to go? Why would you leave? Here are the people before God, and it's not enough for them. That's a big deal, even in the church today, even among many professing Christians. You know, there's always more out there. They, they, false gods, and the, the fourth thing, false gods and religions appeal to our sin nature. 
our base desire, the very, our worldly nature. And that's what we struggle with all the time as Christians, especially as you get along in the faith. Again, early on, you're on fire for the Lord. Nothing's going to stop. Amen, that's good. But you know what? That's tempered down a lot of the times. And we find ourselves looking back to Egypt, don't we? Man, it was pretty good back then. It's really tough now. It's really hard to follow God. Do I still have to do this? Why am I, right? We want to look back. We want to go back. That's always going to be a temptation from time to time in our walk. That's the devil. He's at work. He's not, he doesn't stop. The arrows never stop coming. The temptations are there all the time. You know that. We're, we're, we're told that that's the battle that we're in. That's why we have the shield of faith. I was just talking to somebody the other day about this idea when as Satan attacks us. It's not necessarily just an arrow that's pointed right at your heart. It's that barrage that just keeps on coming. You know, like, like in Braveheart when they shoot those arrows and it just keeps coming and coming. And if you lower that shield for a moment, guess what? You're going to get nailed. And so that's the idea here. We need to keep that shield of faith up at all times. We need to be on guard. We need to be watching out and looking out because false religions make their appeal to our sinful nature. That, that's what makes them so attractive, right? That's what makes it so seductive and that's what makes it so dangerous because they promise fulfillment. They promise freedom. They promise fun. And it's so hard to follow God all the time. And it's so hard to be in the word and it's so hard to pray and it's so hard to be obedient. Can't I just do this? Right? That's it. Just, just think about the infidelity here. Just think about an affair. At first, and you, we know this from watching movies. Some of you know this from experience. I've heard people tell me this. At first, when you enter into that fa- affair, or any kind of sin that's illicit in that way, there's an excitement, isn't there? There's, there's something that you know, you're not getting from this anymore. It's, a, it's almost, it's, 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 you're attracted. You haven't felt this way in such a long time. And that thrill, and that just kind of consumes you. And you're, and you're talking to that person, and you're texting that person, and you're setting up those meetings, and you know that you're sitting, but it feels just, you just feel alive doing that, especially initially. You're just consumed with that, with the anticipation of meeting with that person and knowing what you're going to do. You talk to people that have had illicit affairs in that way, and initially, that's what they tell you. That's what it, they just feel overwhelming. They're out of this. Their marriage is stale and dry and boring, and here's this wonderful excitement. We'll take that over to the spiritual realm. People do that all the time because this seems boring and stale and here I go again and I want some excitement in my life. So I'm going to step away from that. That's what the people in Malachi's day were were doing. They weren't content with the Lord. It promotes and justifies sinful behavior. That's what false religion does. That's what the false gods do with the veneer of kind of religion or holiness. There were other deities around at that time. You know this. But those deities always appeal to the sinful nature. They always give us license to do that which God commands that we do not do. Think of Baal, the, the Baal worship. That was the chief Canaanite god, the fertility god, Baal. And, and it was believed that he, it's Baal who enabled the, the plants to grow, the land to be fertile in that way, so people would offer sacrifice and praise to him. It was also that he um, enabled people to produce children as well. So the worship for Baal, this false god, and look how it connects with the sinful nature. You can even think of the commandments. Look how it connects with the sinful nature. The worship of Baal was rooted in sensuality. So the worship of this god was rooted in, in ritualistic prostitution in the temples. 
So that's what it was all about. The priests, and this is gross, publicly would engage with prostitutes before the people. And that was considered right and good. You see how false gods, they take and twist with the, with the veneer of religion. Moloch was another god at that time. And that worship included sexual rituals as well, but also child sacrifice. So Leviticus 20, we're told this, say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or, or the strangers who so, sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Moloch shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone them with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Moloch to make my sanctuary unclean and profane my holy name. They thought by bringing their children and sacrificing them to God, to Moloch, this false God would give them answers to their prayers and what they needed from him. Do you see that? Understand? And that's a temptation because it, it appeals to our base nature. Listen to this. If you don't hear anything else about this ser- the sermon this morning, listen. Every false god, every idol, every other religion, every other philosophical construct or worldly system at some point allows for, encourages, and indulges sin. That which is contrary to the law of God. It promotes what God forbids because they hate God. It's a false God. So people practice in their religion. I'm just practicing my religion as if it's a good thing. And the danger is, the dangers for those in Malachi at this time that he's writing to, the danger for us is that it appeals to us, that it's attractive, that it's alluring, that it peaks our interest at time. Understand? Do you see what I'm saying to you? Do you get this? There's a battle going on all the time for your heart. And we can't say, God, I love you, but then satisfy and indulge our sinful nature. You can't do that. You can't serve two masters. It doesn't work that way. You'll love one and hate the other. And that's, that's the spiritual infidelity. We're cheating on God in that way. Because we tell them we love them, and then the next breath we're, we're chasing after the false gods to satisfy ourselves. Get that? That's a real danger. It's very appealing. It's very alluring. It excites us. You know that. When you're about to enter some sin, and you know that decision's right there before you. Mm-hmm. That's a danger. Now, you might be sitting here thinking this morning, hey, man, <clears throat> What's this got to do with me? I'm not worshiping Baal. I'm not ha- having those idols. I'm not like even, even, even um, the, the Romans, they, the Greeks and the Romans, their deities were there to satisfy so many of the lusts and, and make it okay for them to, to satisfy all kinds of sinful lusts that they had in the people. Go ahead, check out some of the, the, the deities. They kind of give license to do that. To appeal to our sinful nature. What about Islam? Even Islam today, when we talk about jihad, that's license to commit brutal murder. That's what it is. And feel good about it and, and say, that's right. I'm vindicated by that if I kill thousands because I'm doing it in the name of Allah. But you're satisfying that loss, that sin. Right? How about New Age? Or I'm sorry, like, let's say Hinduism. Right? Talk about satisfying sin in certain ways. 
And there's part of us that likes seeing people suffer in some ways, especially if we think they deserve it. So, you know, in Hinduism, again, they don't talk about it as much, but at its core, what Hinduism does, you've heard of the caste system, right? If you're born in a certain caste, you're in that place because of what you did or didn't do in a past life. So when you're in a bad place, that's bad karma. It's just catching up with you. So if you're a poor beggar on the street with nothing, I get to walk by you without showing any mercy whatsoever because what you did, you deserve to be where you are. You see how, see how it justifies other sins? And that appeals to us in some way because I'm better than you. Because I'm walking right by you and you're down there and you're begging. You must have done something terrible to deserve this. So why should I help you? You have to work out your own karma. These false systems, these false religions, these false gods always end up breaking the law of God, distorting the law of God. They might have a nice veneer on it and they may do some good things within that religion, but ultimately it leads to sin and breaking God's commandments. That's why we don't follow false gods. That's why we don't do that. But it is alluring. It is appealing to us. We um, are are drawn to it so very often. But again, you might be thinking, look, I'm not a Muslim either. I'm not not a Hindu. I'm I'm here. I'm I'm a Christian. Um, I'm not, not, what's this got to do with, I'm not worshiping false gods. And I'm going to ask you, Are you sure about that? Are you sure that you're not? Are you sure that you're not playing games with the Lord? Are you sure there's not infidelity on your part before the Lord? Because these people in Malachi, they thought that they were cool with the Lord, didn't they? When haven't we loved you? You know, when haven't we, when haven't we served you? They kept, they kept pushing back. The Lord says, I've loved you. How have you loved us? Right? The Lord said, you despise me. How have we despised you? You know, they kind of knew, but they didn't know either because they really thought they were serving God because they were going through the motions even though they went to their other gods. And God's telling them very plainly, here's how you're doing that. And we need to be reminded of this, don't we? Because we have the proclivity, we have the tendency to go that way. That's just, that's just the battle. That's what we're still battling, right? Even when we don't want to, even when we know that it's wrong, even when we know when we're sinning against God, even when it's a willful, that's why the psalmist prayed, Lord, please keep me from willful sins because that's such a temptation to sin willfully against the Lord. Right? I want to, want, to, want to be clean, and it's always a danger for us. So you need to be sure about that. These people pushed back and said, you know, we, 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 how have we despised your name? You sure, God? And he goes on to show them how, obviously. It has everything to do with you if in your heart you're trying to have it both ways. And these people were trying to have it both ways. They wanted God on one hand, but they wanted their sin on the other hand. And they wanted to play around. They, want, they wanted the hall pass. They wanted the free pass. They wanted to be able to do that and then come back to God. Do you see? Like, how, how, how could you do that? How, how may you be doing that? Listen, there's some, there's some things that you need to be aware of. If in your mind, in your heart, please listen to this. If, you're, if you say, yes, it's God plus something else, anything else. If it's, yes, God, I want God, but I need, and I'm not going to let go of this specific sin in my life. I need that sin. I want God, but I need this for me as well. And um, so God plus anything. You're in trouble. You could be in danger of serving another God, of this infidelity that he's talking about, of marrying women of foreign gods, right? If it's God, but... 
right? I want God, but, 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 but I need my comfort here, and I need a certain amount, and I need certain things to make me feel happy and secure and content. See, if it's God plus anything, if it's God but I also need something, you might be in danger of the infidelity that's going on here. Yeah, you might be serving other gods in that way. Because what you're saying, when you state those kinds of things, or you think those kinds of things, you're saying, God, you are not sufficient. You're not enough for me. And that leads to faithlessness because I'm going to go somewhere else to get what you're perceivably not giving me. Understand? If you're fine with giving him one day a week, but the other six days belong to you, and he barely crosses your mind throughout the week, that, that he's not considered in decisions that you make, in the actions that you take, in the words that you speak, in the thoughts that you think, then you might be in danger. If you're just here on Sunday, you leave here, and the rest of the week, God is just like kind of far away from you. Oh, maybe a little near. You might throw token thought his way, but he's not consuming your heart and your mind and your thoughts and your actions aren't flowing from him. That's Sunday, but the rest of the week, that's me. That's my day. You might be in danger of what these people are in danger of. You see? We're not immune to this. Going to church. If going to church is just a mere formality, you're just here because you need to be here on Sunday, you think you ought to be here on Sunday, you're coming to church, but you know what? You feel alive when you're working, when you're watching, when you're playing, when you're engaged in some activity that's your passion. I'm not saying you can't have other things that you like and enjoy to do. I'm not saying that at all. But if that's where your passion is, if that's what really gets you excited, if that what really makes you feel alive, if I live for this thing, if I live for this, if it's not Christ, if you're saying I live for this and it's not Christ, then you might be in danger of what these people were doing. See how easy it is? None of us are immune to this. We need to be careful and on guard. These are just examples of this. I love you, God, but. I love you, God, plus. If you ignore, minimize, rationalize, even justify your sin. These people were sinning against God, saying, I love you, and then they're entertaining other gods, and they're flirting, and actually married to other gods in that way, and taking on those customs, going to the high places in that, in that way. Ah, oh, sin's no big deal. That's not a big, everybody does that sin. You know, everybody does that these days. It's just kind of accepted, so it's not really a big deal. It is a big deal if it's a big deal to God, Right? We want sins that, we get mad at sins that people commit because we think they're bad, but we need to understand how God views those sins when we commit them. Right? We tend to minimize so much of what we do. Hey, man, I'm not perfect. And that's true, we're not perfect. But that's not an excuse for us. We're called to be perfect as our Father in Heaven is perfect by relying on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you could say, of course we're not perfect. We all sin, we all do, do those kinds of things, right? But that's, we don't use that as a cover for sinning. And that's, a, that's the difference. You understand what I'm saying to you? Of course we're not perfect. Of course we're, we're going to be tempted. We're going to fall to sin. But then we repent and confess. We don't just use it as cover for, oh, well, la-di-da. That's okay. Because it's not okay with God. I'm not gossiping. I'm just saying. That's what people will say all the time. Okay? Right? 
You commit a sin and say, yeah, yeah, but God knows my heart and we're okay. I'm okay with God. He knows. He knows what my intentions really were. See, all these kinds of things are dangerous because you're minimizing, you're justifying, you're ignoring or rationalizing sin before God. Well, I don't want to offend the watching world, the watching world. So, you know, we're not really going to speak the full truth as we ought to because we don't want to turn the world off from us. Newsflash, the world is already turned off from us just by being Christian. I'm not saying you need to be ignorant or rude, but you need to speak the truth in love, come with me, and understand that people aren't necessarily going to be patting you on the back for that. But we do these kinds of things. When we do these kinds of things, we're in danger of what these people Malachi. See, we're a lot closer to them than you think, than you would think. I don't go worship that Baal. I'm not bowing down to that. You're not? If you're quick to compromise, capitulate, and, and crumble in terms of your faith when challenges come your way. So when your faith is challenged, or you're told you need to do this, even if it goes against what your faith explicitly teaches, but you crumble, you give in, you give up on that, you know, the first thing to go are your convictions. You need to be careful. And that's what happens a lot of the time. You might be in danger of what these people, Malachi, were doing. Yeah, I love God. I love God. But the first sign of trouble, the first time of a challenge to your faith, and you back down and back off, well, it's not that important to me. Especially if it's going to cost you. If it's going to cost you financially, hmm. If it's going to cost you personally, if it's going to cost you relationally, you know, sometimes we just, we're we're not going to speak the truth in love and be faithful to our God. Because we're afraid of the repercussions. Well, I'm a Christian, but I can't afford to do that. Well, what would happen? You know, I, I'm, I'm a Christian, but what else am I supposed to do? <laughs> you know, so very quickly, we capitulate. Very quickly, we, we compromise. Very quickly, we, we, we crumble in our faith. That's a sign that you might be committing infidelity spiritually to God because you're not being faithful to him at that point. You may be in real danger. Just like these people that he's addressing. They're not so far away from us, are they? This has to do with your fidelity to your Savior. And it is a big deal. They didn't think it was a big deal at times. Well, we still love you, God. We just want to have this over here. No, 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 no. You can't have that. It's Christ or nothing. Right? It's it's you or Jesus. It's Jesus or Satan. You can't have it both ways. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in heaven with the Lord. You need to give yourself completely to Christ. We need to do that. And that's the struggle. I know it is. We battle with that. But we need to be on that track. I am here for you, Lord. You show up no other gods before me. No other gods. That's what this gets back to as well, the first commandment. No other gods. Behind this, and I'm going to close. Behind what Malachi is writing and saying here is a warning. It's a warning to be mindful of your relationship with God. Again, when we're new in the faith or we're in those seasons of excitement, it's all good. We can't get enough. But as time goes on, 
right? As it gets more difficult, as it gets harder to obey, as things come in your life that challenge your faith and even what you understood. Man, I didn't buy in for this. I didn't bargain for this, that kind of thing. I didn't know it would be so difficult to to walk this walk. Do I really have to do that and to be obedient to the Lord? You know, even, even within my own household, in the, in the consternation that it brings because I love Christ and I'm in Christ but my spouse isn't or my family isn't, what am I going to do? Am I going to give up my faith and say, okay, it's, that's not that big of a deal. We'll just kind of look over everything else because, you know, we love. Or say, wait a minute. Jesus said that he would bring a sword in, 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 in house and, and, and there's going to be, because of the gospel, there's going to be that pushback on us. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to stand firm. It's hard to know where that, where that line is. So we need to be careful. But this is a warning to be mindful of your relationship to God. I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to leave you with these in your mind. Because if you answer in the affirmative in your heart, then you're in a good place. If not, then you need to start really considering where you're at in terms of your relationship with the Lord because there's hope in Christ and only in Jesus Christ and he invites us to come to him. That's what this is doing. He's angry and upset because the people are rejecting him but he wants them to be obedient to him because he loves them and that's the deal. That's what's going on here. So think about these things. Do you desire wholehearted devotion and faithfulness to Christ? How important is that to you? Your devotion to Jesus Christ, to being in his word and on your knees and seeking his will, is that important to you? Think about that. Wholehearted devotion to Christ. Is it your aim to grow, to really grow in knowledge, maturity, understanding of his word and, your, and his will? Is it? Or is it just playing a game? This is a Sunday thing, or I might do my daily readings, not even thinking about what I'm reading or doing, just kind of doing it because I'm supposed to be doing it. Or is it your aim to truly grow in knowledge and maturity and understanding? Are you teachable, trainable, and humble? Do you delight in him? Do you delight in Christ Jesus? Or is it just a hassle every day to like, okay, I'm going to follow you, Lord. But see your delight. And like, Lord, I love you so much. And I want to do what you call me to do. Are you mindful of him? Do you long to serve him better, trust him more completely, and obey him more consistently? Even when you don't do any of these things, don't you desire that? Don't, isn't that in you? And don't you want to be more like that? Or is it not a big deal to you? Because you see, these are signs of faithfulness and fidelity. And that's what we want to be. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with what I gave you. You were faithful with little. And you did love me. And you did stand on my word. And you didn't compromise. And you didn't capitulate. You didn't give in. But you believed and you trusted when everything inside of you wanted to go the other way. And when it's so easy to go the other way. And when so many others even in the church, are going the other way and chasing the idols. You stood firm and you were faithful. And there's fidelity in that. Don't you love that? Don't you want to be faithful? Don't you love having a faithful spouse who loves you, who's there for you, who cares for you, who serves you? Who's not going to leave, who's not, who doesn't have a wandering eye or a wandering heart, who's looking to cheat. We can't be like that. We need to be focused on Christ. Amen? That's the, that's the call here. That's what we're called to do because these are things that are signs of faithfulness and fidelity of those who are true to the Lord and are truly called in Jesus Christ. 
This is where you want to be. You don't want to be on the other side where you're called faithless. You don't want to be playing on the edges. You don't want to be playing those games with God. But you want to be in him. The question is, are you?